0: All right, all right. Can you look to someone next to you and say, it's all about Jesus? Can you say, that's all about Jesus? Hey, can you say to somebody else, so let's worship him fully? All right. Um, we are here in December, uh, December 2nd. That means we're just uh, 23 short days away from Christmas. That's pretty cool, pretty awesome. Um, I... I know that some people say this is the most wonderful time of the year. I think most people would, I think most people, I think most of us would consider this to be the most wonderful time of the year, and I I wanted to kind of test that hypothesis a little bit by asking some of our people here at Harvest, hey, uh, do you love Christmas or do you not love Christmas, and what do you love most about it? Why is this a wonderful time of year for you? So let me, just to kind of give you a sampling, a survey of where um, the collective hearts of Harvest is. Uh, I just want to read from maybe like a handful, maybe 10 people. Um, They're short little sentences or two on uh, what Christmas means to them and why it's so important. And uh, some of you sent me messages that I'm not going to read today. It doesn't mean it wasn't good. <laughs> it doesn't mean it uh, wasn't awesome, but it just means it didn't, uh, it, it came too late, right? So... <laughs> Uh, I love Christmas season. What I love most about it is the anticipation leading to it. Shopping for presents for my family and friends. That's what one harvester loved. Another one said, I love the, this one's kind of weird. I love the weather. Um, I love that the day gets darker quicker. Um, Not many people on earth that I know that feel this way, but this one does. And I love that in this season, I often see friends and family that I don't often see throughout the year. Another person said, It reminds me of the miracle of birth and the hardships that Jesus went through from the moment he came. It reminds me of family gatherings and reinforces the gifts that we have received. It also reminds me of spreading joy as I give gifts to others. I love seeing the smile when someone opens their gift and still I get excited and anxious as they tear into the paper. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, Here's another one. I love that it brings families together to spend time and make memories, but most importantly, it reminds us of the birth of our Savior Jesus with a smiley face. Um, Another person said, this is deep, maybe one of the deeper ones. After becoming a mom, Christmas has taken on a deeper meaning when I think that God sent his only son as a sacrifice for broken people. I couldn't imagine giving up my children for anyone, let alone my enemies, with the knowledge that they would kill him. God the Father, Jesus the Son, been together from the beginning of time, a relationship of the utmost intimacy and love. Christmas reminds and stuns me of the unfathomable depths of God's love for us. Pretty cool, huh? One thing I love is getting to have a full family dinner because it happens very rarely. Also, I get to reflect and be reminded of God's greatest gift to us, Jesus. Someone else said, I get to see faces I haven't seen in a while, but also, Jesus was born that day, and our lives have been changed forever. A couple more. What I love most is seeing the face of loved ones receiving their gift. I love seeing my son enjoy, son is a. A little baby. I love seeing my son enjoy the bright lights, a little toddler, and all the little ornaments and decorations that tell us. Jesus' birthday is near. I can't wait to tell him the story and see him understand more and more as he matures. My wife and I were just discussing yesterday about how the reality of Jesus being born in a manger full of animals is in such juxtaposition to how the world celebrates and views Christmas. I love that God gave us the greatest gift and in turn he has enabled us to enjoy giving gifts as well. It is truly better to give than to receive. Here's the next, the last one for now. Hard to condense my feelings for it. Interestingly enough, I just love the atmosphere. It's a joyful time of friends, family, and the fact that you're just made so ever aware as a Christian of Jesus and his birth, even as the world tries so hard to hide it. I love that last part. Uh, I don't necessarily love it, but I think it's really appropriate that. It's about the coming of Jesus into the world. It is the greatest person, the most worthy of worship, breaking into the world in the most unworthy of ways, in a manger, in a stable. That's the reality of Christmas, a, a day that changed our lives and that changed the world and changed history, divides human history before his life and, and, and during the time of, of, of his life. Everything changed because of it, and, and what this person said is, even as the world tries so hard to hide it. Isn't that what our world does? Don't say Merry Christmas. That's so offensive. Let's pretend it's not really the birth of somebody. It's your birthday, whatever your birthday is. Hey, pretend it's not her birthday. Let's just pretend it's not her birthday and just say it's a fun time for everybody else. Just act as if it's not their birthday. Let's pretend as if it's just happy holidays. A lot of people were born on this day or around this season. It's the winter solstice. It's about snow falling down. It's about Frosty the Snowman and walking in a winter wonderland. But don't say Merry Christmas, even as the world tries to hide it. And if I'm honest, I'll tell you what. I think the world has done a pretty good job of playing hide and seek with Jesus and hiding him in a place where it's very hard for us to find. Wow. This is what one harvester said. And this is kind of, I mean, it's not, the, it's not, may not have made the cut in normal years, but I can't say I love the actual season. I often feels too busy. I miss out on big moments to reflect because I'm too busy to notice what's really important. I love the anticipation of family and friends coming together leading up to the season. Pace of life always feels very exciting. But during the season, I often feel lost in the shuffle of plans. Anyone feel like that during Christmas? Man, there's a million things! to worship Jesus for, but there's a billion things that take our minds off of Jesus. What ought to be the most blessed time of the year oftentimes becomes the most stressed time of the year. Oh, I've got this party to go to. I've got this work party to go to. I got my kids' presentation to go to. I gotta buy gifts. I gotta go to the mall. They don't sell these things on Amazon because it just came out at the store. I gotta go to Millennia. I gotta go to the outlets. I can't believe I gotta park in this crowded parking lot. This is insane. Who taught these people how to drive? I can't find a parking lot to save my life. I gotta wait in line forever. I should hire my kid and pay the money to stand. At all of these things in the most wonderful time of the year oftentimes end up being the most stressful time, just waiting for it to end. I want to shop till I drop so that I can finally rest. Isn't it interesting, though, that the whole reason Jesus came was to give us rest and had nothing to do with the tiredness that comes from shopping for that perfect gift. It's easy for Christmas to come and go, and before you know it, it's going to be December 26, and we may look back and say, holy cow i got to wait 364 more days for this to come back around again. And it's easy for me, guys. It's easy for me. It's easy for me to miss out on the wonder of it all. There's something wrong with how we do Christmas in our world. There's something deeply flawed and messed up with how we do Christmas, especially as Christians. The world needs to see him. They need to see him, but we make it about so many other things. That's what Advent is about. It's about, hey, let's tune our hearts to the grace of God in order that we can enter into this season so that we can worship fully and really make Christmas what you and I said it was a few minutes ago. It's all about Jesus. This year, I want to conspire together with other churches around and have this Advent conspiracy. And the fourfold focus of this, we're going to talk about these over the next four weeks. The first thing, man, is I want us to worship fully. Not worship half-heartedly or worship just in, in, in name only, but worship fully. To enter into that place and to get to December 26th and have our hearts loving Jesus more than we ever have in the year. That's my desire. Worship fully. Spend less. That's the second thing. Let's not spend all this money racking up credit card debt and then New Year's Eve comes around and New Year's Day comes around and we get the credit card bill and all of a sudden that Christmas spirit has turned into something other than that. We're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pay this back. What if it wasn't about spending a lot of money? What if it wasn't about the money? What What if it wasn't about the gifts and the presents? What if it was never meant to be about that? To worship fully, to spend less, to give more. What if we were able to give more of ourselves to other people? And then to love all, not just love a handful of people, not just love the one person whose name I picked out of that white elephant gift exchange, but to love more people. I want to start a conspiracy in here for us so that we could capture what Christmas is really about so that we don't wake up in the aftermath of, we got to put that tree down, but hey, we just leave it up until May anyways because we got all this other like stuff to deal with. And we leave that Christmas tree up because it covers up within us a very un-Christmassy inside. My desire is, man, that we would soar into Christmas ready to worship God, whether you're in a ballet dance on Christmas Day or you're in a choir or whatever it is that you do, that you would say, man, you know what? This year, this year I actually got it. It's about Jesus. And I was able to worship him fully. That's our desire. Amen? Let's pray. Just kidding. (laughs) We got to start now. We got to start. Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, I want to look at the response to uh, maybe just a a couple people about how they responded the first Christmas day. We're going to read the true story of Christmas 2,000 years ago, the day, the time when Jesus was born. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 and then we're going to jump to the gospel of Luke and and read a a few more verses and then come back to Matthew chapter 2. But We're going to read about the experience of King Herod, who was the king over uh, the Israelite domain at that time. He was king over Judah, Judea, which is where Jerusalem and Bethlehem were, were located. And we're going to read about his response and see what that tells us about how we can worship in a better way. This is God's word. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, who are wise men from the East, Orient, Asia, came to Jerusalem and asked Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod, bad king, Roman king, placed over the Jewish people, when that king heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem, Right, the leadership of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And then look in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This is God's word. Man, this is crazy. Like crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. People of God. Israel, uh, Judah in the southern part, Galilee, Samaria, Judah, okay, Judah, Judea, whatever you want to call it, in the southern part, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, in that area, part of the Roman Empire, overarching Roman Empire, and so what, the, what Rome did is they sent little of these underlings to be kings over the subjects, and so this king named Herod was over the Jewish people, and so when he hears that there's a king of the people that you rule over who's being born, obviously he gets a little bit nervous and fearful, he gets Terribly disturbed, in fact. And so he says, oh, my gosh, I need to do something to get rid of this pretender king. Because what Herod was famous for doing and what a lot of the kings of the ancient days would do is they would consolidate their power. They would make marriage allegiances, political allegiances, marry people, not because they loved the woman, but because they loved the power. And because she would cause me to consolidate power so that no pretenders to the throne could rise up against me. Anyone who was a challenge, he would kill. And so, hey, there's a king. The king of the Jews has been born. And so Herod is disturbed. His response to us is going to tell us a lot about what it means to worship fully by a negative example. Two things that we see. One, you can say and believe the right things, yet still miss out on worship. Wow, did you know that? (laughs) Look at what he says, verse 8. Go make a careful search. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He had the right words. I'm going to worship him. And if you ask me, I've got the right words too. I can sing the Christmas songs with my eyes closed without looking at the screen. I can do that. I can have the right words, believe the right things, and yet still miss out on worship. Hey, if you ask me, what, what is Christmas all about? And Anyone ask me, what is Christmas all about? I'll tell you. I'll tell you because I saw it on a little pass-it-on card. Jesus is the reason for the season. And if you've never heard that before, you've been living under a rock for all these years. But if you haven't heard it, then you'll say, wow, that's pretty cool. Jesus is the reason. I can tell you the right things, but so too could Herod. And a lot of times, we can be so close to Christmas and yet so far from Christ. You could be close. You could even be in church on Christmas and yet still miss out on worship. Because Herod says, this is what Christmas is all about. I'm coming to worship the king, but in verse 16, he wants to kill this king. He wants to erase this king. He wants to do away with this king. How about you? You know, I know you know what Christmas is about. At least you can say that to me. But if I were to really just peel back the layers... What really is Christmas about? I think if I ask uh, my kids, they'd be able to shoot straight with me. If I asked them, actually, if I asked, even if I asked the littlest one, what is Christmas? What is Christmas? They would say, Jesus' birthday. But if I asked them, what does Christmas mean to you? They'd tell me something completely different. They, They wouldn't say, oh, I've come to worship Jesus. Because they shoot straight. Well, last week I was in a, a, Atlanta. We are up there for a wedding. A few of us were up there. And uh, a couple of families, uh, our family and another family, hiked up Stone Mountain. Right, Stone Mountain, awesome. Like this huge, massive like 90-degree hike that we scaled up and took us forever to get there. But we finally made it. And then as we came down, we're going to eat food. And this is what we do. We eat a lot in Atlanta. And so we had to drive about 30, 40 minutes. And before we left... Our six-year-old dude, Elijah, Elijah said, Daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. I was like, all right, dude, let's go to the bathroom. So we found a bathroom, and we went in to the men's room. Okay, this is kind of how bathrooms are for you women. Um, one, they stink. Like men's rooms smell really bad. The second thing, I don't know, I don't know if it's just because we're, we're men and you guys are women, but in the men's room, no one talks in the bathroom. It's kind of like you're breaking the man code to talk in the bathroom. Is it like that for women too? Women talk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't want to know. So men don't talk in the bathroom. And so we get in there. There's a long line of people, and it's probably like eight deep, and Elijah and I are like third and fourth. And so I'm like holding him in front of me. And as soon as I walk in, just the the smell hits me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I don't say anything because men don't talk in the bathroom sitting there waiting, waiting, and after about five, ten seconds, I think Elijah finally got it. Either the smell hit him or he could take it no longer, and he busts out. He says, (laughs) ah! He goes, ah, it smells disgusting in here. And I said, Elijah, it's okay. And I tried to like hush him up before he said something else obscene and got whoever's in the stall upset and embarrassed. And as we went on our way, there was a man, a large African-American man who was washing his hands. And as he turned around and he walked out, he looked at me and he said, kid, don't lie. And then he walked out. (laughs) It's like, that's right. My boy don't lie. He tells the truth because kids don't lie. We lie, though. We lie, don't we? Because we know the right answers. We know the right answer. You just be quiet. You don't say anything. Hey, what is Christmas all about for you? It's about Jesus. It's the reason for the season. But what if I asked a kid in you? If I asked a kid in you, what is Christmas really about to you? The honest you. Pull back the layers. Okay, this is what it's about. It's about having the perfect family photo that I could send to other people so they can say, Oh, your family is so precious. That's what Christmas really means to me. Christmas is about. It's about making sure that the family who comes over, my in-laws are coming over and they they hate me, but it's trying to impress them and to let them know that I'm really worthy of my daughter or their daughter or their son's hand in marriage. That's what it's really about to me. <laughs> it's about it's about hoping and praying that if I drop enough hints on social media that somebody will get me that massive air fryer so that next year I can, deep, I can fry a turkey in that air fryer. That's what Christmas means to me. Maybe Christmas for some of you means, I, hey, you know what? There's this girl that I'm digging. There's this guy that I'm digging. They don't really know. We've been talking a little bit. It's kind of in that gray friend zone area, but I want to push the envelope a little bit. And the way that I do that is by finding the perfect gift for her or for him. If I were to ask the inner kid in you, what is Christmas really about for you? What would you say? Because it's very easy for us to say the right thing. It's all about Jesus. Praise God that he sent his one and only son into the world in order to be the savior of all mankind. And God did that for... But if I were to ask the real you, what would you say? If it's really about Jesus, then why are we so stressed? Then why are we digging ourselves into credit card debt that we won't be able to get out of for weeks and months in order to find that perfect thing if it's really about Jesus? Why are we so stressed out? Because here Herod in a satanic ploy to try and erase Jesus from the record tries to have all children born under two boys destroyed in order that the message of Christmas that changed the world would not be propagated to the ends of the earth. You know, it's one thing when it's one generation, but the next generation is attacked. The other time this happened in biblical history was when Moses, the deliverer of Egypt, was going to be born. Let's kill all these babies because when something awesome is going to happen, the enemy always attacks the next generation. Listen, whatever it is for you, is this the, what is the message of Christmas that you want your children to grow up believing? I don't want my kids, and, and I, I lamented over this last year, man. We got They had so many stinking presents under the tree that couldn't even see the floor around it. Manny's like, oh, I'm going to buy something for Elijah. I'm going to buy something for Elise. I'm going to wrap it in this thing. Elise is like, oh, I want to. No, she didn't say but Elijah's like, oh, I'm going to buy something for everybody. So, like, there's, like, all these these, these presents, and I'm like, dude, this is... Guys, kids, what is Christmas? What is Christmas? Jesus' birthday. Come over here, come over here. Daddy's going to read the Chris, the True Christmas story to you. We're going to celebrate and worship Jesus before we open presents. Okay, sit around the table after what? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Daddy, how long are you going to talk? I don't want that to be the Christmas again. Like, dude, it's about Jesus. But when can we open our presents? <laughs> about Jesus, not about our presence. It's no small wonder then, the, gr- the most worthy person of worship, the most world-changing day in history, that the enemy would want to erase Christ from our Christ mass, our Christ worship so that we no longer talk about him and pretend conveniently that it's politically correct to not celebrate the fact that God has come to save us. And so we say, okay, happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. I'm going to be politically correct. Happy holidays. Ah, man. But what would it look like if it really was about Jesus, about worshiping him? fully, what would that look like? Because I know how easy it is for us to be distracted, to worship half-heartedly, to spend more, to give less, and to fight with everyone. What ought to be the most blessed time of the year often becomes the most stressed time of the year. Something's got to change with how we do Christmas, guys. Especially, as that one person said, for those of us who know what Christmas is about. And so the second thing that we see here is that God invites you to life-changing worship this Christmas. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is awesome. This could change the world. God invites you. He invites me. He invites my children into life-changing worship this Christmas. What does that mean? I know that a lot of us were traveling over Thanksgiving weekend. Some drove, but for some who flew, uh, I I sent an invitation, an email invitation to a program that I've been, I got grandfathered in many years ago. It's called CLEAR, and what CLEAR is, it it allows you to bypass security lines at uh, airports and and sporting events. Our our, uh, Fukuoka House Church Shepherd, Chris Lee, at our morning prayer service yesterday, he, he talked about his experience with it. But I sent that, this invitation over email to, to a few people, and my first encounter with Clear here at Orlando Airport was someone dropped me off at the airport on the sidewalk. I, from the sidewalk, my feet touched down to the time I sat down on my gate was seven minutes. Amazing. Amazing. If you want, want one, ask me for it. But, so I emailed this invitation to some people, and I asked them, hey, did you end up using it? And some people are like, ah, oh, you know, I just didn't use I didn't use it. But there was a family that used it. Uh, Chris and Haley and their daughter, Isabel, used it. And Chris said, they got in the busiest airport in the world, Atlanta-Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, which is the worst airport in mankind. But that airport, on the busiest travel day of the year, they got through security, he said, in two to three minutes. Amazing. And so Haley said, this changed my life. Huh?" I cannot go back to life before clear. My life will never be the same. This life-changing invitation was sent out to more than just one family, but it takes us to respond in order for us to have our lives and our worlds changed. This Christmas, I gave you my heart, just kidding. But this Christmas, God <laughs> invites you into a life Changing worship with God. Because if you read, and and this would be my, my homework assignment to you this Advent, read through Matthew, read through Luke, the gospel accounts of the true Christmas story, every person who encounters Jesus ends up worshiping him. Wow. What if you encountered Jesus this Christmas? Would you not worship him also? And would that worship not change your life? Would it not change your life? He invites you into that place to say, hey, come and see. Come and see what people have seen for 2,000 years and have never been the same. Right, come and see. Take a look. Right, Take a look and enter in. That's what I'll invite us to do. I just want to do this by, by looking at two people and their encounter with Jesus during this time. Okay? Uh, the first one, if you look in Luke chapter 1, okay, Luke chapter 1, the first person to whom the Christmas message comes is this 14-year-old, unwed, engaged-to-be-married virgin named Mary. Mary is visited by an angel who says, you will be pregnant with the Son of God. Can you imagine this? I don't, I don't, I mean, you're 14 years old. 14 years old, never You know, you just live a a holy life, a pure life. You just want to honor the Lord God, and God says, hey, you know what? I'm going to, bam, you're going to be pregnant. Okay, you're going to be pregnant, not because anything bad you did, but it's just because you're, you're, I chose you. This is not anything bad that you did, but simply because I'm going to put that baby inside of you. What would you say? Holy cow. All of my friends in middle school are going to think that something shady happened. My parents they're not going to really believe this. I don't believe that many people would actually believe it. But look at her response in Luke chapter 1 verse 46. Mary said, "My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things." For me, holy is his name. She's like, hey, hey, y'all, if if she, I don't know if she texted with her 14-year-old friends at the time, but she's like, guys, my life is going to get changed forever. Like, nothing is going to be the same. But in the same breath, she says, God, you have done great things for me. Holy is your name. God, you're awesome. This is called the magnificat in Latin. It means the worship. There's a high expression of worship that Mary gives to God because he has impregnated her with the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. She says, God, I worship you. Why? Because all she sees is the majesty of God and the absolute sheer unworthiness that she would be the vessel to bring God into this world so that the world would be changed. You would inhabit and dwell in me. Then why would you choose me to do that? Why me? And she gives her worship to God as a result of it. Some of you may have encountered my four-year-old daughter, Elise. Um, Elise, uh, we named her Elise because it means God's gift. and She's God's gift to us. She is the third child. And if you subscribe to these birth order theories, James Lehman, uh, he said that the youngest child um, is always seeking attention. One of the things, he uh, he likened each birth order child to a different animal. And he said, the youngest child is like a puppy dog. Okay? Just always playful. You know, like puppies always come wagging their tongues and wagging their tails. And, and they come and they, I, I don't know what they do. They, they lick you and they want to play and they want to, whatever it is that they want to do. He said, the, the youngest child is like a puppy dog. They just want to be they just want to play. Like everything is play to them. Everything is a game to them. And so if you want to show love to your youngest child, layman says you need to play with them a lot. Right? Some people, it's, let's go get coffee. Let's go uh, play football. They said for, for kids, youngest, they just they need to be played with. That's how they feel love. So Elise thinks everything is playtime. Everything is a game to her. So uh, she does something. She wants to play. And we're like, not now, Elise. She wants to, like, I don't know. She wants to touch the fire, touch boiling water. Elise, no, don't do that. Ha, <laughs> ha, She thinks it's a game. So she laughs, and she thinks we're, like, playing this game, and we're not looking. She wants to do it. And no, 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 Elise, don't do it. Fine, Elise. If you don't do it, you're going to timeout. And she thinks it's all a joke. So she's like laughing, laughing, laughing. No, Elise, don't do it. Elise, go to timeout. And so she's laughing on her way to timeout. And, and we turn around, and as she, she's going to time, we think she's in timeout. We check on her, and she's like stopped in the middle of walking to timeout, looking at us, seeing if, if we're going to catch her doing something. And she's like laughing. Ah, ha, ha. Elise, go to timeout. Uh, she thinks it's all these big jokes. She's sitting in time. She's laughing. Elise, stop laughing. Stop playing around. You're supposed to think about what you did wrong. Think about it. Think about it. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Elise, we're going go to the go bring the memme stick. Go bring the spanking stick. Don't call police on me. We don't, we're don't. we gentle. Uh, go get the go get the memme stick. She brings the memme stick. She's like laughing. Ah, ha, ha, ha. She thinks everything is a joke. Everything's a game. She just likes to play. We, uh, during Lent, we're doing like family worship service and um, We're talking about how Jesus cleansed the temple and how we're the temple of God. He he wants to cleanse our temple. So what are the things that you need to, and this abstract language is too much for our kids. What, What is, what needs to, children, what needs to be cleansed from your temple? They don't understand that. So I said, what do you want to give to Jesus this Lenten season? What do you want to give to Jesus? I want to give my anger. I want to give my hitting. I want to stop biting somebody. Okay, Elise, um, Elise, what do you want to give to Jesus? What do you want to give to Jesus as we move towards Good Friday? She said, a gift card? (laughs) Like, how are you going to give a gift card to Jesus, Elise? Stop messing around. But this is Elise. uh, If you try to say hi to her, she'll think it's all a big game. She'll, like, run away from you. She'll act coy. She'll act, like, hard to get. But really, she loves it. She loves your attention, but she acts like she doesn't. She acts like she's hard. And this uh, kind of is how she is at school, too. So when I take her to school, there's two entrances into the school. One is like this back way through the like air conditioning, fenced off area, back way to the playground. Another is where the principal and the pastor of the church that she goes to that school, that's where they stand and they greet people. And so I say, Elise, which way do you want to go? And she's like, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way where I don't have to talk to anyone. And so sometimes I'll just make her say, okay, you know, Pastor Bob and, and uh, Mrs. Alexander want to see you. And so we walk that way. and They're like, give me five, Elise. And she like walks by them and she's like laughing, completely ignorant of them. Hello, Elise, how are you this morning? She like turns around as if she didn't hear them. Like, Elise, you gotta stop doing that. That's like disrespectful. Disrespectful. And, and, and she's like, turns around, and she's like laughing, laughing, laughing. This is all like this big joke. There's these other ladies, teachers who are stationed at different places to kind of direct the children who get dropped off in the car line. Go this way. So this so lady and Mrs. Holiday, Elise, I see you hiding. Hello, Elise. You look so nice today. And Elise just completely turns around. Act like she don't see her. Act like nobody's there. Starts talking, Daddy, blah, 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 my kokiri, my elephant, my blah, 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 blah. The other lady's teacher's walking out. Oh, good morning, Elise. Good morning, Elise. And she looks at them, and she turns her head, and she just completely, she gets, everybody the culture is like, Elise, you can't do that. Everybody's going to think you're mean. Everybody's going to think you're like... Just not a nice person. One time, Elise and I were walking into Starbucks, and one of her teachers, Mrs. Morris, was walking out. She's like, Elise, Elise, I see you, I see you, Elise. And Elise uh, looks at her, and she says, huh, and she turns around. (laughs) And Mrs. Morris says, Elise, I know you, when mommy and daddy are not here, you, you don't act like that, right? We know you, she said, I know you love me, you're just acting like that right now. And Elise starts laughing, and she walks in. Like, man, this is our Elise. We got to teach her like social skills, respect for people, but she don't want to learn it. The other day, we're eating dinner, and Olive says, family, family, I have an announcement to make. I have an announcement to make. (laughs) I said, what What kind of announcement are you going to make? And she said, guess who has chosen to be Mary in the CTK Christmas play? I said, who? She said, Elise. I said, oh, great. Elise Who? Elise, or elise, Elise Kim. I was like, stop messing. <laughs> Who are you kidding, right? Who really is gonna be Mary? Elise, Elise is and as soon as that ton of bricks reality hit me, I was like, oh, Elise, or Elise, our Elise gets to be Mary. The mother of God in the Christmas play? Oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. I started singing Ave Maria. I started singing, my soul rejoices in God our Savior. It glorifies the Lord. Why have you seen our humble estate? To what do we owe this honor? said Elise, the one who gives everyone a cold shoulder, the one who talks to nobody, who ignores everybody in school. She was chosen to be Mary, the mother of Jesus. I was like, oh my goodness. And I thought about it. If that's how I respond to Elise, acting like Mary, how would Mary respond to be the actual Mary, the mother of God? Holy cow, that God has regarded my humble estate and has chosen me to be the bearer of divinity. That is you, and that is me, that God would choose to dwell within us. Why would God choose you and me? You know all the wrong that I have done. You know there's nothing good in me. You know how many times I give you the cold shoulder. You know how many times I turn away from you. You know how many times I act as if I don't hear your voice calling. Why would you choose me to dwell in, to set your treasure in a jar of clay? Mary understood that because she knew that it was all about Jesus and that she was just invited into that scene to play a small and bit part in that grand drama that's still playing out to this day. And he's calling you and me to be his messengers. Will you know? Will you see? Because if you enter in, don't just stand off to the side of this nativity story. That's what a lot of us do. Right, we enter into this Christmas season, but we kind of tiptoe along the outskirts of it. We say, yeah, you know what? Jesus is all the way over there. And every step we take towards Amazon.com, every step we take towards these malls, away from the heartbeat of what it means to worship fully, we walk away from the manger. I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we got to shift the narrative and to rethink what Christmas is really about to rethink what it's really about so that we can worship fully, to enter into it, not be a bystander looking at it, but to put ourselves into that and to say, Jesus, you have come for me. I don't care whether you think it's Mary or somebody, but but read through the narratives. Ask God to show me who is it that you want me to walk with throughout this, this Advent season and walk with them and see why they were led to worship and see how it can change us. You go back to, to Matthew, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 2, and you see these wise men. Okay, these wise men live 500 miles away from where Jesus was to be born. But they make this month-long journey. This was not a quick drive up I-75 in traffic. It wasn't b- battling through with clear, going to, to Atlanta Airport. This was 500 miles on camel through a desert. And for that months of journeying, they said, this king is worth it. Is the sacrifice of your time to suspend the busyness of your life so that you can worship Jesus this season? Is he worth the sacrifice of your time? Because they brought sacrifices that were far more costly than that also. Gold. Incense, myrrh, gifts, all gifts that were fit for a king. And so they come to this King Herod, bloodthirsty king. And scholars say that in order for these wise men, magi, to come before the king unsolicited was again to risk their lives. You've come to worship this king who rises as a rival to my throne? How dare you do this? Risking everything. What is the cost of your Christmas worship this year? The time, the money, the courage, the reputation. Well, for, for some of us, the greatest cost we're going to pay is to, to, to go to somebody at work and say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. But hey, maybe that's, maybe that's a step. These wise men, they find Jesus and they bow down. And they didn't say, upon coming into the manger... Oh, it smells disgusting in here. That's not what they said. They didn't come with all of these gifts and say, "Hey, Joseph. Uh, hey, by the way, cute baby there. I really like that baby. He's got he's got your lips. He's got. It looks like he's got mom's. That cute baby. But hey, listen, uh, I, I got some gifts for you. I knew that you're a carpenter, so stop by like Home Depot on the way here and bought you this like sandpaper and a new and a new hammer. Give this to Joseph and Mary." Yeah, you know, I know that uh, giving birth—it's you know, not, it's not Winnie Palmer here. This is like a manger. So, hey, um, I decided to get you some swaddling cloths. I got you a got you a new ergo so that you can help put him to sleep. And sound machine—this will all be helpful. Brought you actually—we could—we wanted to bring you a crib, but we couldn't because it was too heavy. So we got you something else instead. And some applesauce or baby food, whatever it was. And hey, hey, shepherds—we didn't really know you were going to be here, but. Uh, we brought with us some Axe deodorant, and y'all, quite frankly, need it more than we do, so here you go. We'll give you this Axe. Merry Christmas to you guys, and, and since you guys are out in the fields a lot more than us, we got some bug repellent for you. This is eucalyptus, 100%, all natural. Use it. Got some essential oils that we thought we were going to use, but we want going to give it to you. Merry Christmas. Everybody. It's so great to be with y'all. Love you guys. Merry Christmas, and they leave. Sounds a lot more like our Christmas celebrations, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, Jesus, there you are. They weren't distracted by all the things around them. Why? Because it says, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's what Christmas is about. We are here for you upon seeing him, wow, it's all about him. It's all about him. And so they worship. They give their best to him. If we're honest with ourselves, what are the things that distract us from the worship of the king during this Christmas season? And what if we began to to tell ourselves, hey, guys, guys, I don't want you to go buy me that nice, expensive gift. I don't, I don't need that. I don't want you to go in debt for me. Jesus doesn't want that for his birthday present. What if we decided to do something different? What if we really began to worship fully? And out of that place of worshiping fully, we decide to spend less, give more love everyone. What would that look like? Do you think maybe... Maybe this would be a blessed Christmas, not a stressed Christmas. Maybe we could really enter in and fully begin to worship Jesus. What if, what if the picture that our kids had uh, of Christmas wasn't all these toys from all these people, but, but maybe like one or two toys for them or one or two things for them, and hey, there are people who need this more than we do. Let's give something to someone else. Do you think then that the Christmas that changed the world could still do that today? Instead of us being so angry and so bitter because it's too much traffic and, ah, oh, I can't believe they're closing at, uh, at midnight on Christmas Eve. They should be open all night. This is terrible. And even Black Friday, they open. Instead of us getting all bent out of shape, we, we kind of pulled back and said, we've come to worship him. Because every person in the Christmas true narrative who encounters Jesus is led to worship. Joseph, whose life would get completely, completely flipped upside down because of this news. He says, here's my worship. My worship is I'm going to obey God even when it's costly. For the shepherds, here's our worship. Even though we're the least deserving of people, we're we're busy, our sheep are gonna gonna run away, but we're gonna still leave all of that busyness behind. We're gonna leave all of that stuff and responsibility behind so that we can come in and worship him. I wanna encourage us to go through the Christmas narratives and to enter into that space. Not to look at it only on Sundays and, ah yeah, that was pretty cool, but to really move into that place. And as you do, I think what's going to happen is we'll come, and as we behold the Lamb of God, that our hearts will be moved into worship, that we'll see Christmas for what it is. We'll follow him from the cradle through the broken chaos of the lives of people, messed up, healing them, uh, shameful people, giving them, them honor, people who are hurting, giving them life, people who are dead, raising them up, giving them the gospel, and the cradle would lead us to the cross. Where we would see that Christmas is not about us finding the perfect gift for everybody and their grandmother. But Christmas is about God who gave his best gift to us. And in response to that, to say, God, I want to give my best gift to you. I want to worship you fully. I want to worship you fully. I want to give you everything. If, if less of me and less of presence and less of stress means more of you, then take everything take everything this Christmas. I want to give it all to you. And we worship fully. And then we dream again and wonder again. Can Christmas still change the world? I think we'll see that it can. I think we'll see that it will. Let's pray together. What does Christmas mean uh, to you? What have I made Christmas. What if you made Christmas? What if we made Christmas to be? And what if we began to rise up in rebellion against our world's understanding of Christmas? To try and erase Jesus, to delete him, hide him from our worship this Christmas season. What if we began to think differently? Could it change our world? Could it change the lives of other people? We're going to look over the next three weeks of what that can look like. But why don't we begin just honestly seeing ourselves for where we are. Where do we need to repent to God and say, Lord, I need to change? And where do you need to make a decision? I don't want us to do anything rash and say, hey, go tell your kids they're getting nothing for Christmas. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe yeah, you talk to your kids, you talk to your family, your friends, say, hey, I want to really worship fully. I don't know what that means yet. Maybe we'll get to that in, in a couple weeks' time. But I want to recapture the heartbeat of Christmas. Maybe that can be your first step. Yeah. This is not fueled by anger or guilt, or, but it's, it's fueled by worship, right? the worthiness of God. He's worthy of a fuller worship. Yeah, so let's pray for a, a minute or two right now. Maybe for some of you, that's going to say, hey, I'm going to sign up for this Angel Tree Project. I want to love, love kids who um, may be single parent or they're living with people who are not their parents. I want to love these kids. Maybe for others, it's it's to do something different. Maybe to say, I want to give uh, any, any birth, any Christmas gifts this year, hey, direct it to a charity. Direct it to someone who needs it more than I do. Whatever... Response: the Lord is calling you to make. Can we sit with this for a minute or two? Yeah, just really believing that God wants to do something new in us this Christmas. Yeah, so let's pray that to the Lord. Let's respond a minute or so of praying, confessing our need for him. Can we uh, spend a a few moments just uh, confessing any sin otherwise before the Lord? We're about to come, for those who have been baptized or confirmed, we're going to come to a table of God's grace where we commune with God and we commune with the church of Jesus Christ around the world and through all time, reminded of our union and our communion with Christ and with his bride. We take a few moments to confess any sins before the Lord. They may have nothing to do with our worship of God in Christmas and our celebration of Christmas, but it has everything to do with our relationships or it has everything to do with our habits or it has everything to do with choices that we've made or lies that we've told or habits in which we've engaged. Let's spend a few moments examining our hearts so that we can have a clear conscience as we come to receive God's grace. Let's pray for just a half minute to a minute confession and receiving the forgiveness of God in us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for reminding us reminding us of how countercultural our lives have been called to be. That we're not part of the kingdom of Rome. We're not part of the kingdom of Herod. We're part of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom runs so counter to the kingdoms of this world. And when our world tells us that this is how we ought to live and this is what we ought to make this season about, The kingdom of God speaks truth into us, flushes out our system so that by a transformation through the renewing of our minds, we might be able to test and approve what the good and pleasing and perfect will of God is so that we might step into this season of worship this Christmas. So help us. And as we remember your great sacrifice, the love of God at cost of the life of your son, would you move us and stir us in awe and wonder? that we might worship you fully. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.